Welcome to the Christian Politics Podcast, brought to you by the For Youth, By Youth Productions. This podcast is designed to discuss modern issues through the lens of the Bible. Welcome back to the Christian Politics Podcast. We're excited to be with you here today on a crazy week of events, and we're going to get into all those. We're going to be talking about uh, the inaugurational speech today. We're going to be talking about the executive orders that were signed in, and uh, we're going to compare the two speeches from 2017 to 2020 as we get into it. Uh, but Bryson, how was your week? How how were things going in school and everything in your life this week? Oh, everything was going pretty good. Um, you know, I had a great week. I watched the inauguration on Wednesday, and um, it, it was a very different inauguration uh, seeing, you know, not so many People there um, mm-hmm. just invited people, I guess. It, it was kind of interesting. I, th- I thought it was a good inauguration. Uh, um, you know, uh, they had flags across the mall. That was pretty yeah. cool to see. I thought that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I had a good week uh, watching everything. Joe Biden is the president of the United States now. So he we're is. transitioning into that. So. Yeah. But, and you yeah. uh, you did watch it, right? You watched. Oh, I watched every good, bit of good. it. I did. You know, a lot of people were saying, "Hey, why, I'm not going to watch it." You know, back four years ago, people were saying, "He, Donald Trump's your president. You should watch it. You should gather your children around, and you should." This is history in the making. Well, this is another history in the making, and I challenge all of our listeners to watch that and listen to that and uh, be a part of that history and educate your children. Uh, and we're going to sort of do some of that legwork for you today. We've uh, we've went through and we've broken down some of these speeches. And but real quick before we do that, we want to uh, give a couple of headlines that happened this week. First off, we want to talk about how um, the day after Joe Biden was uh, inaugurated as president, uh, there was an impeachment charge brought against him. Uh, this was put brought on by a House member in Georgia. Her name was uh, Senator Marjorie. And uh, she, uh, it's Marjorie Green, and she introduced the articles of impeachment against President Joe Biden for his corrupt actions involving his quid pro quo in Ukraine, his abuse of power by allowing his son Hunter Biden to siphon off cash from America's greatest enemy, Russia and China. Uh, They released a statement saying that he was unfit, that uh, his son was uh, lining his pockets with cash, that President Biden was even on tape admitting to quid pro quo uh, and threatening to withhold $1 billion in foreign aid if they didn't do his bidding. Uh, this case is against Joe Biden, and in vast detail, they list six different points. I'm going to link the article to our show notes. Uh, I know Todd Starnes and Newsmax has reported it, but Bryson, the funny thing is, is I haven't seen this reported on any major news outlet um, around. I haven't seen it on Fox News, CNN, MSDNC. Haven't seen any of this. Uh, have, have you seen that at all? Well, James, you don't understand. See, we only report impeachments when it's the impeachment of the horrible Donald Trump. Okay. 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 So when it, when it's the illegitimate impeachment of Joe Biden, nothing happened there. Um, there's nothing. I mean, you know, some shady deals over in China, um, you know, cheating sort of your office a little bit, uh, abusing your power. Uh, for real, Donald Trump never really did that, maybe a little bit with that phone call from Georgia. But when you're actually, you know, th- this is c- completely being ignored. I haven't seen it anywhere. Mm-mm. Absolutely Mm-mm. not. I've, I've seen it on, um, you know, I think the first time I've seen it, James had actually sent me a text message. Yeah, I called a friend um, of mine last night and said, hey, have you heard about this? He said, no, there's no way. He said he went to Fox News and scrolled through all the headlines and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so he had to actually go in and type in impeachment search because he tried to find it. And it finally came up, but it wasn't on anything. 
Um, Last night, now today it may be different, or when you're looking at it on Monday, it may be different. Um, The second thing I want to bring up is, is, you know, during Joe Biden's speech, which we're going to get to in a minute, um, he calls for this unity. He calls for this peace, and he he mentions twice in his speech about the um, riot and the mayhem in the Capitol just moments ago before this happened, a couple of days before when they tried to overthrow the government with anarchy. Uh, he he talks about how bad it was, but yet in that same speech, during that same time, there was an Antifa riot in Portland, Oregon, at a headquarters of a political organization that no one really has been talking about. Um, if we're going to talk so much about one riot, why would we not talk about another riot, Bryson? Well, you see, the one riot was associated with Donald Trump, and the other riot was not. It's these leftist Antifa radicals. Okay, they're they're. <laughs> Attacking this, maybe not leftist. Well, maybe not leftist. Let's, let's say, let's say Marxism. We'll let's say, say Marxist, and yeah. you know, because we they're they may call their, they're, they're, they may be conservative. For all we know, yeah, we I mean, don't know what they believe. No, but we do know that it is classified as an Antifa riot. Right. Why are they not calling one out for another? Yeah, they're they claim to be anti-fascist, and they go out and uh, yeah. can uh, they go out and perform fascist. Uh, I don't know, riots, whatever, yeah. protests, whatever you want to call yeah. it. And, and and biblically, I'll say this. It talks about how we are not supposed to be a part of riots as Christians. And so I, I challenge any Christian that was a part of any of those riots to confess, to ask for forgiveness, because you should not be a part of any riot anywhere, any shape or any time. The Bible clearly prohibits us to be a part of any riots. Well, if you're out there rioting with Antifa... Or anyone. We're praying for you. For anyone. If you're out yeah. there rioting for, for white supremacy or if you're out yeah. there rioting for, for the Trump, for the, what happened on the Capitol, uh, you should ask for f- forgiveness. And you should, as a Christian, you shouldn't be doing those things. Yep. So let's jump into these um, these speeches right now. What we're going to do, uh, just uh, we don't have a guest today. We just want to talk a little bit about what's going on. Uh, we broke Joe Biden's speech down. And so, uh, last page. Oh, yeah. um, oh we're, we we broke down by by words that he used, and so total words that Joe Biden used in his speech because we want to jump right into it today is uh, two thousand three hundred and seventy seven words. Uh, so it was a pretty lengthy speech um, compared to the four years ago speech, and uh, these were some of the words that he used prominently throughout the whole thing. Um, he used the word "we" ninety one times, which was three point nine percent of his speech was "we," which is great. Uh, Bryson, what's the next one he used? The next one he used is I, and he used that 33 times, and that's a total of 1.3% in the entire speech. So he he liked talking about himself a little bit, which is fine. Hey, I like talking about myself, too. Uh, he used the word America 20 times. That was 0.8% of the speech. And he used you 17 times, which was 0.7% of the speech. Democracy 11 times, which was 0.4% of the time. Uh, he used people nine times, which is 0.3% of the time. He used unity eight times, which was 0.3% of the time. And he used God four times, which was 0.1% of the total speech. All right, so four times out of 2,377 words, I believe I said. Yep. Yeah, 2,377 words. And so he, he, I thought his speech overall was a very, very well-written speech. Um, I know that he said he spent which any president's going to do this, spend months and, and, and days and weeks practicing and preparing and fine-tuning, which is what you want to do 
when you give this, um, really it's an amazing speech. And so uh, what we want to do is we want to pull out some of the phrases, the statements that he said, talk about them, uh, give some context behind them. Um, and then at the end, we're going to look at his executive orders. Uh, but what I want to really do is, and I challenge everyone, when I, uh, four years ago, when Donald Trump was elected, people asked me, what did you think of his speech? Oh, it was great, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to talk about his speech today too. But people asked me, what did you think of it? And my always my response is this. I don't care about the words. I care about the actions. You can say a lot of great things. You can get up and you can give a rousing speech and you can motivate people, but it's the actions that you do defines who you are. And so we're going to look at those actions because he's, when we're recording this, he's only been president for two or three days now. And uh, so we're going to look at some of his actions to back up his words. Bryson, what's your initial thought on the speech itself? My initial thoughts is that you know, when just like you said, you look at the actions versus you, uh, the words within the speech, and I think that's good because Washington D.C. for so many years has been all talk and no action. They've had all these problems, and they've been uh, debating and arguing about these things, and they've done nothing about it. So I think that's important to uh, listen to the speeches and what they have to say, but it also is important to look at their actions and how they play out what they say they were going to do within their speech. Yeah. And so we're going to hit our first soundbite here. This is uh, Joe Biden in his speech. And he makes a statement to overcome these challenges, we must restore unity. And so I'm going to play this soundbite. Listen to it. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy. Unity. So there we go. We have him saying that what we need in America is unity. And I agree with that statement 100%. We do need unity. We've talked about that several times on the episode. Uh, but but he's calling for this time of unity. Uh, Donald Trump, at the same time, we're going to look at his speeches. He called for unity as well. Uh, but at the same time, when, when Donald Trump called for unity... What did we have? We had people standing in the street saying, not my president. All over Facebook, we saw, not my president. I had some of my best friends in high school posting and saying, yeah, he's not my president. Well, we're, we're calling for unity today as well. And we're standing here saying the first opening statement we said was Donald Trump, he's gone. Joe Biden, he's our next president. And we're going to stand behind that. Do we agree with everything he's going to say? We're going to look at some of those things. Uh, but we are calling for that same unity. We're calling for people to band together and to show that unity. Bryson, what's your thoughts there? Well, um, you know, there is a respect that you have for the office of the presidency, and that is that Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Four years ago, a lot of people were not recognizing that Donald Trump had been elected the president of the United States. Maybe you don't agree with everything that happened. Maybe I don't either. But he is the president of the United States, and we have that um, respect for that high, the highest office in our land. I want to say something about the unity that he's calling for. Um, you cannot call the supporters of someone of an opposing political party white supremacists, um, various other things that they have called called Trump supporters and, and uh, conservatives or Republicans. You can't say those things and, and encourage violence against them and then call for unity as if you're some... Um, you know, trying to unify this this country by also being divisive in a way. Yeah. So we can't be united by 
doing that, they have to actually act it out as well. Yeah, derogatory terms are never the best way to do it. It'd be Not like me walking, it, it'd be like me walking <laughs> up to a, a northern and say, "Ah, you stupid Yankee." You, you know, that's yeah. that's never going to make the conversation be well. Friends. Just like it wouldn't be good for someone from New York to come down and say, "Look at these stupid rednecks down here." <laughs> okay, out there with their guns, shooting, mm. shooting stuff. Okay, that was my uh, my Yankee. Uh, impersonation of a, a redneck, and, and all of a sudden you're going to cause animosity by calling names, and it, it almost goes back to that that childish behavior. Uh, yeah. But he he goes on. Go ahead. Did you if, if you're going to unify, then act uh, in a unifying way. Don't don't act in a divisive way if you're trying to unite the nation. Yeah. So the second thing we want to point out was just a couple minutes later, seconds later in his speech, he uh, asks for Americans to join him in this cause. And he gives some statements that we're really going to dissect at the end of part of the episode when we go into his executive orders. But I want you to listen to these words and remember these words that he says here. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Uniting to fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness. So he's asking for us to come together and and fight these things. And I think that uh, we all as Americans should fight against anger, resentment and hatred. Um, We should fight against extremism, lawlessness, violence. We should fight against the disease and the pandemic that's going on, the joblessness and the hopelessness. We should give hope. We should do these things. As Christians, that's our that's our civic duty is to give hope where there's hopelessness, to give light in the darkness. And so if we're going to take these things and we're going to give these speech, he's going to give this speech, I want to see action behind it. What is his action that he's going to do to say, I want to create jobs, not take away 50,000 jobs from the Keystone Pipeline and the Border Control. Uh, I want to create, sorry, oh, that was for later, but we'll mention it as well. I, how are we going to give action to create this unrest and unlaw and to give law and to not take away defund the police? If you're, if you're calling for defund the police, where do you think the law is going to come from, Bryson? Probably defunding the police, because <laughs> when you have no police to correct these problems that you're creating when, when you have all this violence in the streets and nobody's there to help when you when you send an unarmed social worker out to to a shooting in the streets what in the world is that going to do defunding the police is absolutely not the answer to any yeah, so, of that and that's what we're talking and, we're and by to, the way yeah, i'm just going to say this when the congress and then the capital of the united states was stormed just a few days ago that the Democrats didn't want to defund the police because they realized, oh, we need the police because the police just saved our lives. <laughs> so defunding the police is never and never will be the answer to anything. And if that happens, it will be a very bad thing. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. We we don't want our words to contradict ourselves. We are wanting lawless. We are wanting violence to end. That's why the police are so important. That's why some of my... My, my youth leader growing up was a police officer, and he taught me the value of civic duty and why I love and I honor our soldiers because they protect us and they give that peace. They give that structure. They give that steady government hand that, that we can use it if in a state of emergency they can be called in. And when a hurricane happens or a tornado happens or something bad happens, we can call in the National Guard and they can give that service. That's why it's so important to have that. 
you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I saw, I don't know if this is verified or not, I saw it this morning as I was scrolling through Facebook, was that uh, Joe Biden said that he was proud and he was honored to have the military there. And then he had 10, 13,000 military troops there uh, defending our nation's capital in case of an insurgence and putting up these walls that we don't believe in walls, but we were going to put up the walls around the Capitol. Uh, but then just moments later, when all that was done, they didn't even give the soldiers the decency to put them in a hotel. They put them in a parking deck to sleep in. Yep. I, I saw that, and I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, I hope oh, one of our listeners would, would verify that for me, and I'll try to verify it later. Uh, but I was just appalled that you're going to say how great our military is, but then you're not going to treat them like honorable human beings. Well, they were staying in the Senate cafeteria, the Senator's Buffet, I guess it's called. It's a great place to eat, by the way, if you've never been. I've <laughs> but, been. It's fantastic. But that's where they were uh, staying at inside the Capitol. And and I guess the senators had to eat. So uh, the, they put the senators over our uh, military, moved them into a cold parking garage with one power outlet, according to uh, wherever I read that. Uh, so correct me on that if there's more than one power outlet. Yeah. But um, – yeah, that's that's not a good way to. You talk in your speech about treating our soldiers and treating our troops, which it's sort of the to the end of the speech. Um, but you talk about treating them well, and then you you do something like that to them. It's not really. Uh, it, it's kind of hypocritical, I guess. Yeah. Third soundbite I want to pull out from this speech is um, he says that we must end the uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts. We've said this from day one, our very first episode when we talked about abortion, we talked about um, prejudicial hate. Uh, there is this this hatred that we've got to get rid of. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this to educate people, to give them hope, to give them understanding that we're not out here to, to call people horrible things or to call people bad or call people good. We're here to call people to re- allow God to work into their heart, to allow God to use them to end this hatred between brother and sister and between neighbor. And so listen to this clip as we play it. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts. So there you have it. We, uh, we look at we and we can do this. That's the thing. We can do this. We can do this if we want to. And if our government allows it, because too many times our government is censoring the wrong people, they're censoring uh, or they're doing things that they don't have the uh, they they shouldn't be putting their hands in in private life. Their job is to to govern, not to rule and reign as a king or a queen. Uh, And so, Bryson, anything else in that speech you want to bring out? Um, No, not necessarily. Give me just one moment. um I don't believe there really was. I mean, his entire speech was pretty. Oh, one thing that I want to point out, which we'll talk about this uh, when we get to his executive orders that we'll talk about later on in the show, but he uh, mentions that we will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again. So that sort of uh, goes back against sort of what Trump has done the past four years of trying to uh, get us out of this sort of uh, us and the world and, and turn it back to just the United States. And so I feel like it's going to go back kind of like uh, what we saw during the Obama years. Yeah, and even when we look at that statement and we, we talk about the uh, repairing our alliances, one of the first things he did 
was he changed um, how we view Israel. And he lumped Israel and the West Gaza and I believe it was uh, the Syrians all together into one group of people. Our greatest ally and the greatest ally that Israel has is, is America. And so to lump them together with the West Gaza and the, the unrest in the Middle East uh, is, a, is an unjust statement to do. Uh, but I think it just goes to point back that he's he's and, and we're going to see in these executive orders that he's going to do everything he can to try to unravel anything that had Trump's name on it. Yeah, anything except for the curtains in the Oval Office because they're still the same color. <laughs> but uh, other yeah. than that, pretty much. So let's look at now we're going to look at Donald Trump's address from four years ago. And uh, the, we're, I tried pulling out some of the same words that were used. And so Donald Trump may have said something more or Joe Biden may have said something more, but they weren't together in the same. Uh, and so I wanted to sort of use the same verbiage. So where we looked at um, Joe Biden, he said the word we 91 times. Donald Trump used the word we 44 times. And it was roughly the same amount of percentage because Donald Trump's address was 1,259 words, which was 1,100 words less. So where Joe Biden used it 3.9% of the time, Donald Trump used it 3.4% of the time. Okay? Now let's look at this next one because it will be the very last one on our on what I've got there, Bryson. Yep. The word I. Okay, how many times did Donald Trump use the word I? 0.2%. And two of the times that he said I was in the same sentence. Okay. So three times in his entire speech, he used the word I, which was 0.2% of the time. Whereas if you remember, Joe Biden used the word I 33 times. So... 11 times more, which was 1.3% more. Now, when you get to the word America, we use that for Joe Biden. He used it 0.8% of the time. Um, Donald Trump used it 1.3% uh, of the time, which was 17 times. Uh, this is where I really like this stat because it was uh, it's the second one on there. What does it say, Bryson? The you, your. Yeah. Uh, 22 times he used that. That's a total of 1.7%. Yeah. So he's, he's pointing it back to us as Americans. 1.7% uh, where uh, was 0.7% by Joe Biden's speech. And then he used the word people 10 times. Um, Joe Biden used it nine times. Uh, the percentage is different because of the amount of words. And then the last one is God. They both used it four times. Uh, but the percentage would be higher on Donald Trump's because he used less words. And so let's let's dissect just for a minute. I pulled out three sound bites that we're going to talk about in Donald Trump's speech. Uh, and the first one, it really goes back to uh, what was his administration about? Because it's easy to judge an administration in 2020 hindsight, no pun intended there, uh, to looking back and saying, okay, what did he do? What did he do wrong in those four years? Uh, versus three days. And, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to sort of judge Donald Trump on these speeches. And I pulled out three things uh, to really do that. And the first one we're going to look at is his speech. Um, his first soundbite here is the giving the power back to the people. So listen to this. Today's ceremony, however, has very special meaning because today we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. So when we look at that and as we look at um, what happened during his four years, we saw the most regulations cut um, for businesses and small businesses. We saw small businesses grow. 
Uh, you got to really look at pre-pandemic, and even if you look after the pandemic, uh, the unemployment rate after the pandemic from March till December uh, was cut by 30% um, from those who went unemployment, which is the largest um, cut in unemployment ever in the history of the world in seven months. Uh, in the history of the United States. So we see there's some good things here, but we see that he took the regulations away. And so we're really judging Donald Trump on what he did and, and, and how he did it and how he used these actions because we're going to do the same for Joe Biden here in just a minute. So we want to be fair um, how Donald Trump was able to do that. Bryson, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, Donald Trump was a very economic president. Mm-hmm. Um, he saved Americans tons of money with uh, tax cuts. The economy had never seen... Uh, such a boom during the presidency, and, and I believe, uh, if I'm correct, I'd have to look, but even as Biden uh, enters his first days, the stock market is still doing okay. Yeah. But um, it, the he, he was an economic president, so he, he um, and, and even during the pandemic, you know, we the stock market fell dramatically, um, I would say around March, and uh, we get on into uh, the later months of 2020, and that stock market has grown back and uh, has, has sort of rebounded. But I, I, my favorite thing about his address is that, and the thing that I caught my eye the most is that he is um, sort of, get, he, he talks constantly about giving um, the power back to the people, mm-hmm. taking it back from Washington and giving it back to the people, which is the way that it's intended to be. Yeah. And so I really appreciate that. The, the whole speech, there's, at least one page that we have. we have six pages of his speech, and on at least one page he mentions giving the power back to the people or empowering the people at least one time. So, yeah, yeah. And and then the next point I want to pull out is this, and and it goes to directly what his administration was for. He 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 ran on the platform to build a big beautiful wall, right? He wanted to build this big beautiful wall. It was gonna be the best wall you've ever seen, uh, and he made this statement in his address. So listen to this. We've defended other nations' borders while refusing to defend our own and spent trillions and trillions of dollars overseas while America's infrastructure has fallen into disrepair and decay. So when we listen to that statement, we see that he is calling on day one of his administration, let's invest in America. He uses the statement, and we've heard it before, America first. I'm fine with that. Uh, Joe Biden is is running, I think he yesterday passed a recommendation to buy America. I think that's what he's calling it, buy America, buy America, uh, to go out and buy things that have America written on it. Um, and so just it's that same mentality. Let's let's invest in our own country instead of investing in the the China market that is overly taking over the world. Uh, and part of that was he said, we need to get rid of some of the NAFTA and the um, the what was the the international trade that he, he restructured with China. And he said, we've got to get back to. Uh, putting America's jobs first, and and we're going to bring manufacturing back. And what happened? He brought the manufacturing back to Detroit. He brought the manufacturing back to states. Uh, and, you know, for me, that's huge in my family because my dad, he worked at Freightliner, and he was worried during those uh, years prior to that because Freightliner was talking about moving all of their production to Mexico because they could build it cheaper there. And, you know, that's a job that he was ready to retire from. And he was like, man, if this happens, I'm not going to be able to retire. I'm going to figure something else out. 
But yet we were able to bring those jobs back. We were able to see unemployment crash slash. We were able to see uh, tons of things happen during that administration. Uh, and so I'm hoping that the things that Joe Biden will do will be able to surpass that. Uh, if these executive orders that we're going to look at uh, are going to be able to uh, just put a put a shadow on what Donald Trump did is what I hope. Yeah, for years we had horrible uh, trade deals. You know, you saw you talked about NAFTA uh, and, and some other things that benefited the uh, they they weren't a problem towards any politicians in Washington, but they were terrible had a terrible effect on the American people. Um, their problems were not our problems. The, uh, before Donald Trump, Donald Trump came in and said, "You know, we're one country. I'm running this country. We need to fix these problems." So he went. And I said he was an economic president. He came in. He made new trade deals. Mm-hmm. Um, Moved our jobs back from China, not completely, but there's, I mean, you, you ever seen the, I know you've seen the label made in China before. <laughs> um, all of our jobs, factory jobs, had been sent overseas to China to be manufactured um, uh, very cheaply and, and then sent back to the U.S. And, and Donald Trump was very tough on China. Um, we've, he mentioned we've defend other nations' borders while refusing to defend our own. And that's right, for years we were policing um, over in the Middle East, um, we had troops stationed there fighting endless wars, and we were protecting these other countries while we have drugs um, and caravans and, and uh, trafficking coming across our southern border. And, and the only thing between um, them and America was a little fence that Barack Obama put up, or I guess it had been there before. But he took that as a priority, as protecting our nation, putting this wall up, which Joe Biden doesn't think is a great idea. They, they never have. They, they did before Donald Trump, but that's a, a totally different story. But we, we had, when, when Joe Biden, and we'll talk about this later, but when he, um, you know, does, cancels the further construction of our border wall, it, it's not going to have any positive effect whatsoever. So that's why it was one of his pro- top priorities to uh, defend our own borders uh, like we have other countries. Yeah. All right, let's look at this last clip by Donald Trump and his speech. Uh, It's near the end of it, and he calls for the same thing that Joe Biden calls for. And this was was four four years ago, okay? So this is not a new thing, uh, but he calls for this unity, for this uh, to get rid of the prejudiceness, and this is what it says. At the bedrock of our politics will be a total allegiance to the United States of America, And through our loyalty to our country, we will rediscover our loyalty to each other. When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. The Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And that's so true as a Christian organization that we are, a uh, Christian politics podcast, we've got to look and say that this is what we're calling for, unity. We called for it four years ago. We're calling for it today. Uh, we're wanting to get rid of the prejudice, the racial, the the hatred that we see in our nation. We've got to get rid of that. So, Bryson, what's your last closing thoughts on that speech? Well, my last closing thoughts on the speech is that Donald Trump was um, – trying to uh, get America fired up, get us ready to bounce back from where we had failed. You know, before Donald Trump, um, you know, you had the uh, the uh, stock market crash, I guess it was at 2008. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you had that 
And, and we came back from that, but we never grew tremendously from it. And we were just expected to accept that as a new normal. Donald Trump came in and he said, this is not who we are. This is not enough. we got to fix all these problems. And we're going to make his slogan for the entire campaign was, we're going to make America great again. And so he, he, his goal, and it's on the last page of his speech, mm-hmm. and, and he closes just about every rally, every speech that he does with this. He says, together we're going to make America strong again, wealthy again, safe again, and we're going to make America great again. Well, he said that, and on Wednesday, Joe Biden said America is a great nation in his speech. So, Mr. Trump, I'm assuming that you did your job. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. so so this time we're going to transition to our 17 executive orders, unheard of, unprecedented 17 orders that were issued on day one of Joe Biden's administration. So these are the first 17. Uh, we, we, we did a little look at it, and uh, Donald Trump, on his first day of office, issued one executive order. Bryson, do you remember what that executive order is off the top of your head? I don't off the top of my head. All right, so that executive order off the top of my head, if I, you can fact check me on this, I don't have anything in front of me. It was to um, restructure and rework the Obamacare Affordable Care Act. Oh, that's right. And so he was wanting to put the power back to the people, just like he said. He was showing action for what he was saying. And uh, he he said, I want to get get that to the point. I think overall he did a little over 200 um, executive orders. I had it pulled up just a moment ago. Yeah, I was trying to do it by memory. Um, Um, Yeah, Bill Clinton, according to uh, what I had pulled up, if you'll give me just one moment. Yeah. It, it looked as if Bill Clinton had the most, according to this article, which is... Uh, it's a little over 300 or something like that, or 350. Well, I can't find it. But, <laughs> of course... Well, yeah, well, you know, but anyways, we're, it, we're it was... Uh, it, it high two hundreds. It was like two seventy or something. Bill yeah. Clinton had like three hundred and something. Yeah. Um, and Donald Trump was lower than I believe he was lower than Barack Obama. He may have been right at the same number. He was lower than Barack Obama. Okay. I believe Bill Clinton had um, the most, and then I believe it was either George W. Bush or Barack Obama. Okay. And so and we, he we, was fourth on executive that orders. Just so you know, executive orders is a action put in by the president. Now, we've seen a lot more of these lately by governors and states uh, with the COVID and the pandemic, everything's going on. Uh, they're, they're not really um, meant to be used, in my mind, for what they're being used for, um, especially during this pandemic. But what we see is there's 17 things, and we're going to briefly go through them, give some commentary. Maybe you haven't heard of them. Maybe you don't know what's going on. Uh, we want to give you some some context here. So the first two actions that he did were just solely on trying to help out people. Uh, it was nothing to do with Trump. About every other one, all the other 15 have something to do with Trump uh, to roll back his actions. So the first one is this. An executive order requires that masks are to be worn and maintain social distance on federal property. So if you go to the post office, if you go to court, if you go to any federal property in the United States, you must wear a mask and you must social distance. Okay. Hours after he signed this, I think it was ironic that one of a reporter was standing outside the White House and they saw Joe Biden step out of the Oval Office out by the back. No mask on. Talking to a couple people, not social distance. So she took a picture of him, okay, because, hey, you're in a glass house now. Every eye is on you, okay? Look at Donald Trump's life for the last four years. Every single thing he did was on him, okay? They tried approaching him and talking about this with him, 
and he blew the media off. He actually got mad at one interview that I saw and walked off because they said, why are you telling us to wear masks when you're not even doing what you're asking us to do? Come on, man. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. Okay, so so the, the famous statement that I love that Todd Starnes, Todd Starnes says is that the rules that the government puts in place are for you, not for them. Rules for thee, but not for me. Yes, that's what he says. And so that's where this first rule. The second rule is this. He's launching a 100-day mask challenge. So it's not a mandate. He said it was a mandate in his um, in his uh, um, debates. He said, we're gonna, I'm going to mandate 100 days of masks wearing. Okay? And we've done it for 270 days, but we're going to do it for 100 more. Um, he's launched this 100-day mask challenge to encourage all Americans to wear masks. Uh, let's look at number three, Bryson. What we got there? Number three, we have, if I can fill in with my papers here, <laughs> it says the reversal of Trump's. Okay, so this is where we're getting into the reversal yes. of everything yes. Trump did. The reversal of Trump's decision, decision to remove the United States from the World Health Organization. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, will lead the American delegation, CNN reported. Um the WHO, the reason that we left the WHO is because they were a big part in covering up China's mishap during the whole uh, beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, they, they turned a blind eye. So, so basically happen. we're joining the Chinese health organization. <laughs> yeah. So number four, an executive order that creates a position of COVID-19 response coordinator. Uh, this is to work with the global health security and biodefense, a team in charge of pandemic's response within the National Security Council. And so uh, because it's such a big deal right now with the pandemic, we're now buffing up people in charge of this. There's always, there hasn't always been this, but there's always been people that are in the cabinet and in these these positions to deal with it. Uh, but we don't want to be caught off guard by the 100-year disease that we get every 100 years. Yeah, um, as so, far as that goes, um, many people will say, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, Joe Biden created a position to tackle this for someone does a uh, place there to tackle this pandemic. Well, Donald Trump and the Trump administration had the, uh, what did they call it? The, uh, the task force, the, task force, the yeah. coronavirus task force. So our, our next executive order, number is five, number five. And that is an executive order to extend eviction and foreclosure more moratoriums. Yeah. See, I'm not good with those big words that the <laughs> Democrats use. Yeah. Um, it would go until March 31st. March the 31st. Okay, so two more months. This is something that has been part of the CARES Act. This is uh, where people cannot be evicted if they're not working and they're not paying their bills. Um, and so we're, we're extending that act. The number six, this one, it, it really got me when I read it because when I, when I began looking at it, uh, I began looking at who it benefits the most. Number six, extend the existing pause on student loan payments and interest for federal student loans until at least September 30th. So another nine, eight months that we're going to go where we're not going to be getting interest from these federally funded student loans. When I begin looking at that, the highest student loan debt, Bryson, guess who it's going to be? The highest student loan debt? Who do you think in public professions has the highest student loan debt? I would say doctors, um, yeah, lawyers. Do- yeah, doctors and lawyers are going to have the highest student loan debt. Okay? So this is directly going to affect the rich, the ones that are making high-quality money, the ones that are above the poverty line. This isn't necessarily going to the ones that don't make anything and the ones that are, that are struggling. Now, it will help some. I'm not saying it's not going to help any. Uh, but but he gives this clause at the end that uh, it's going to help some help provide some near term relief um, to p- put food and and 
to allow people to put food on the table. And I, and I agree, it will. If if I've got the option to put food on my table or pay my student loan, I'm going to put food on my table for my kids to eat. Um, I, I luckily graduated with no student debt. I, I paid everything off before I graduated, uh, which was a blessing. My mom helped me out with a little bit of that. Uh, but but we've got to get to this point of who is this executive order helping the most? And that's where we've got to look at who we're helping out. Number seven, Bryson. Number seven says, I quote, a quote-unquote instrument that will allow the U.S. to rejoin the Paris Agreement on climate change within at least 30 days. The executive order fulfilled a campaign promise and represented a stark rebuke of Trump's America First approach. The Post reported, I guess that's the Washington mm-hmm. Post. Yes. Trump officially withdrew the nation from the Paris Agreement on November the 4th. Yeah, so and this is the only one. I've seen a lot of things in the in the uh in the news media about withdrawing from the Keystone Pipeline. I don't see anywhere in these executive orders where the pipeline, where we've withdrawn it. This is the only one that I can see because it deals with climate change that we're withdrawing from the Keystone Pipeline. Now that right there, if you look at that, is 13,000 jobs between Canada and America, roughly 10,000 jobs in America that come from the Keystone Pipeline. Now, if you remember our, our clips that we played at the beginning of the episode, one of Joe Biden's action items said that we were going to eradicate joblessness. In this issue, if this if this order right here deals with the Keystone Pipeline, that's 10,000 jobs that immediately are unemployed. How are we helping with uh, joblessness when we're creating unemployment, Bryson? Well, we're not. Um, Donald Trump, and it's mentioned in his speech, what he did, and, and this is interesting because this has happened multiple times um, through the history of our nation, uh, projects created by the government of different jobs, different roads, things like that, provide jobs for people to go and work at. The Keystone Pipeline provided what, roughly 13,000 um, jobs. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you take that away, those were jobs that, that were put there. Um, not by the government. Not by the government. By but, a private organization. By a private organization. But I'm saying yeah. that... You know, in his TC speech. Energy, I believe is what it was. Right, but I'm just saying that so many jobs have been created. So many people have been able to get jobs, including things like this pipeline, including government functions. And Joe Biden, the jobs president, comes in on day one, and the first thing, one of the first 17 executive orders, he's got stacked a mile high on his <laughs> desk. One of the first thing that he does is takes away 13,000 American jobs. Yeah. Well, ten thousand American, three thousand were um, Cana- Canadian jobs. But, but, but yeah. there are thirteen thousand men and women that will yeah. be going home this week because they will not have a job because a pipeline project has been canceled by your new president, Joseph R. Biden. Our our new president. Our new president. Yep, yeah, our new president. Okay, an executive order to the number eight, an executive order to aim. And I've got to do some research on this. Um, I'm sorry when I when I say this because. I've just now recently been introduced to this topic, and, and I'm going to mention it in a second. And I think we're going to do an actual episode on this, Bryson, uh, in the future, uh, just to educate everyone on it. But it's an executive order aiming to embedding equality across the f- federal policymaking and rooting out systemic racism and other barriers of opportunity from program federal programs and institutions. Um, and what it says is the order will disband the Trump administration's 1776 commission which released a report on Monday that historians say distort the role of slavery in the U.S. And what they're meaning by this, because I didn't understand when I read it, is this new, it's called 1619 Project. 
And uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to change the day that America was founded instead of 1760, 1776 when we won our war of freedom against British to 1619 when we weren't even American. We were British. We were a British colony. And they're saying that that's when America was founded because that's when the first slave came over. Well, Americans didn't bring those slaves over. British did. The British owned this nation, and they brought the slaves over. So that that's sort of where it's at, and we're going to do a whole episode on that in the future just to educate you on. Number nine, Bryson, what's it say there? Number nine says an executive order reversing an order that excluded undocumented immigrants from the census. The order now requires non-citizens, these are people that are not citizens <laughs> of the United States of America, to be included in the census and the appointment of congressional representatives. This is basically to... Um, have a higher population that will ultimately increase the representatives that we have in government. And that's the only reason that this is um, that's this is the case. Ultimately, in these big cities, this will, you know, be democratic. Yes, exactly, Bryce. And it goes on to um, basically say that we're going to pack these states and the representatives in these districts because they have more of a population. That's how we do our House of Representatives and how we appoint different representatives to different districts is based on population. And so if we can have more people in there, whether they're citizens or not, we're going to give a higher population of more representatives in certain districts versus other districts, uh, which ultimately goes back to our House of Representatives and where they're at. Number 10, a memorandum directing officials to preserve and fortify um, and to strengthen DACA, which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Program. Uh, this is directly after Trump's effort to undo protection for undocumented people who are brought into this country as children. Listen, I'm all for immigrants. I was an immigrant. My family's an immigrant. 90% of the people that you talk to, probably it would be higher than that, 95% of the people that you talk to are immigrants from another country. Whether it be Ireland, Scottish, German, Japanese, Chinese, Asia, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Chinese, uh, Canadian, doesn't matter. We're all immigrants. But we came here legally. That's the thing. We're trying to do this in a legal manner. I'm for immigration. I'm for people coming into this country, but do it legally. Do it where there's an actual. We have, a, we have checks and balances for this. We have people, uh, part of immigration that is checking people to come in legally because we want to be honest and right with people coming in. We don't want people coming in illegally and sneaking into our country and benefiting off of our taxpayers' monies. Exactly is what it is. So, any yeah. thoughts on that, Bryson? Yeah, that's all I got. All right, number, number 11. What's that, Bryson? Next number 11 says, uh, I was about to reread what we had there. Number 11 says an executive action repealing two proclamations informally known as the Muslim ban that restricted entry into the U.S. from majority Muslim countries. Biden directed the State Department to restart visa processing for individuals from the affected countries, the New York Times reported. The president also asked the agency to develop ways to address the harm caused to those who were prevented from coming to the United States because of the ban. Why do you think that we had a ban on the majority Muslim countries, Bryson? Terrorism, um, you know, one of the biggest acts of terrorism in history of the world uh, happened right here on American soil, mm -hmm. September 11th, 2001. Okay. Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden. You had... He was a Muslim. Uh, I'm not saying all Muslims are bad. Don't no. get me wrong. Uh, there's Americans that do bad things, uh, but we, we take care of those Americans that do bad things. We put them in jail. And so this was the immigration jail, basically. You're going to be a Muslim that's going to... We, we allowed them to come in. We just had a more strict policy of them coming in. Yeah, it was, it was very, yeah. very strict. Mm -hmm. but 
it, it wasn't they made it out the media always doesn't i mean you need to do your own research because the media will never tell it exactly like it is yeah that's why you're listening to us because we we tell it like it we, is. we try we we're try. just we're just a bunch of country boys just yeah, talking we're just about a it. bunch of rednecks <laughs> no the the ban on muslims was not a ban on muslims okay the it, it was a travel ban but Muslims were still allowed to enter this country through a uh, thorough system that may ensured safety to America. And I think that was necessary. Joe Biden and Democrats obviously don't think that it's necessary. Yeah. But we'll see. Well, how and that that's plays num- out. number 12 continues on. It says an executive order revoking Trump's harsh and extreme immigration enforcement and directing agencies to set immigration policies more in line with the Biden administration values and priorities. Uh, and so we're 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 going back to this more relaxed immigration. Uh, we already have a country that's on edge with the pandemic, and and if anything, right now we should hinder anything because of the pandemic. Um, but we we need to understand that. Number thirteen, Bryson. A proclamation that will pause the construction of the border wall with Mexico and determine how to best divert those funds elsewhere. The order includes an immediate termination of the national emergency declaration that allowed the Trump administration to redirect billions of dollars to the wall, the Times reported. Here's my thing. If A lot of people have told me uh, about the border wall, which has sort of been controversial, but I think it's been well needed or much needed. A lot of people have told me that instead of spending all this money on a border wall, why don't we send these funds elsewhere? Well, here's what I would respond. Instead of us keeping up all these other nations throughout the world, why don't we take that money and you know use it for our own good? Yeah. Well, and you got to look at this even more. Imagine an open border, less control. Less control on the violence. Remember, that was part of Joe Biden's speech. Okay, now we're letting gang members and drug lords come into America. Violence. Uh, lawlessness, okay, uh, goes back to that same thing. Drug lords and, and, and um, sex rings and sex trafficking. All of a sudden, this is all coming across our open border because there's no control down there. Uh, well, one of the other things that I, we mentioned in his speech was joblessness, okay, by diverting and getting rid of, and, and I like how it said uh, in his note there, immediate termination, immediately terminating 60,000 people at the border, building the wall, taking care of this. I thought we were creating jobs, not taking away jobs. I'm just a little confused by the wording of, because I said, speeches are good. I want to see actions. These are actions. These are action items that we can say definitively, this is what he's deciding to do. Just like we can look at President Trump's actions and say, this is what he did or didn't do. This is what he did wrong. This is what he did right. We're looking at it right now. Uh, let's look at this next one. Number 14 was confusing to me, but Bryce, I'm going to let you read it. Number 14? <laughs> okay. Um, La- Liberians is how that word is. It's a memorandum. Yeah. A memorandum to extend a designation allowing... Liberians who have been in the United States for a long time to remain. The order would block the deportation of Liberians who have been living in the United States. James, what's your thoughts on that? I I don't know what it means. I need to research it. I'm sorry, guys. I looked at it as I was studying over it last Mm. night and the day before, and I'm thinking... We're uneducated. What what does this have anything to do with Liberians? Do we have a war with Liberia right now? Like I'm I'm confused. Maybe if you know, let me know. I'm going to look into it as well. Number 15... Um, and this one, oh, we're going to do an episode, guys. We, we've got a lot of things planned. Identity politics. This is identity politics 
Yep. In everything, right here. We and could they, talk for an hour on identity <laughs> politics. We right could. Here. We've only got 10 minutes left of our episode, so we're not going to talk for an hour. An executive order directing the government to interpret the Civil Rights Act as prohibit, prohibiting workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, in addition to race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. This is exactly what identity politics does. It says that you can only do something because of who you are. And yes, I, I don't think we should have any discrimination on anyone. Uh, I see it all over the place. When you go to Food Line, there is a, a sticker on the Food Line door that says that we are an LGBTQ equality hiring. Okay. As organizations, this has been long-term to say that you're not going to discriminate against who you're going to hire and why you're going to hire them. But yet we have to put this in the executive order. Just I, I just it really it really fuddles me a little bit when I read that. Um, and then this next one, number sixteen, uh, goes along with that same thought. Bryson, go ahead and read it. Number sixteen, an executive order enacting new ethics rules for government officials. The rules will require executive branch appointees to sign an ethics pledge, barring bearing them from acting in their personal interest. I would just take like to take a moment, real quick to thank my president, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, for solving racism and, and ending it for, forever. Because yeah. these actions are, will absolutely do that, and I'm forever thankful <laughs> for my president. Well, thank you, Mr. Biden. You know, this right here, if it actually follows through, we will be able to, quote-unquote, I'm going to use Donald Trump's terms, not a Donald Trump super fan like some people are, but we're going to be able to drain the swamp. Okay, there will be no more ability to buy out House of Representatives based on what they want personally. We will no longer be able to give certain people money to vote a certain way based on this. It says right there, require executive branch to sign an ethics pledge, barring them from acting in their personal interest. Mm. That means if someone gives someone money to do a to create a law or to create a, a resolution that would go against this. All you lobbyists that are listening are about to go out of business. <laughs> because of this. And I am for that one. That's great. I love it. Let's do more hey, of it. Okay, it let's let's there. act in the interest of the people, not in the interest of your personal uh vendetta. And then the last one, an executive order reversing the regulatory process um, enacted by Trump and organization directs the OMB director to develop recommendations and modernize regulatory review and reverse Trump's regulatory approval process. What that simply means is Trump said, hey, let's get rid of a bunch of the regulations. Let's make it easy for people to have a job. Let's make it easy for a small business to start up. Let's, for every one law that we put in, we've got to take two away. That's what he's talking about. We're reversing that. Small business owners, there's going to be a crackdown that's coming. Okay. You're going to have these regulations that you're going to have to abide by because of this executive order. Uh, and so th there was some executive orders that was done on Thursday based on some of the coronavirus. Um, and then there was supposed to be today on Friday when we're recording this on the economic relief. We don't know what those are yet because we didn't get them before the episode, but we'll definitely be touching on them on the next episode briefly. Um, but what I do want to just mention at the end of this executive order time, executive orders are good in sometimes. They're good for moments when Congress can't act, when the House can't act and make laws. But if we're serious about these things, let's put them in a law. Let's have the House draw up a, a, a resolution, a bill, to go before Congress and the Congress to sign it and it go before the President and the President to sign it into law. I'm really tired of these executive orders just coming out and just 
trying just like Joe, just like Donald Trump did. He used an executive order to reverse what Donald, what Joe, uh, what Barack Obama's doing. Biden's doing the same thing. He's using executive orders to to just do away with what Donald Trump did. Make it in the law. Make it something that people are going to have to abide by. If it's that important, send it through Congress. So that, that's sort of what I've got to say about that. Bryce, yeah, any closing thoughts? I agree. The executive order process in America can be adjusted because you have um, – the president has the ability to create an executive order, sign it, and boom, it's there. It's done. But in my personal opinion, I think that the president should sign an executive order, come up – he could, see, this is the president's only way really of creating a law unless yeah. it goes through a member of Congress. So I think that it's a good thing. Um, but I also think that the president should sign this, and instead of being able to sign it, put it into law, and then the next president or administration comes, signs an executive order, and takes it out, there needs to be a process in which an executive order is signed. It either goes through the Supreme Court voting on whether it's constitutional or not, mm, or, like go, or goes through the House or the Senate one. Um, and, and then that way it becomes a law, and then there needs to be a law in place where that, un- unless something is unconstitutional, and I guess this could go through the Supreme Court because I think yeah, the Supreme Court to, could yeah. be could be more involved with this. But that when a new administration comes in, there you cannot just sign an executive order that replaces a former executive order from a yeah. former administration. So we have some work to do there. I think we can sort of make some progress. But I think really getting the Supreme Court, maybe not even the Congress, but if the president goes, if it goes from executive branch to the Supreme Court, I feel like that would be sort of sort of a good thing to do. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, let's pray for our nation real quick, and we'll close it in prayer and give some closing thoughts. Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for <clears throat> the health that we've given us, the ability to come on and have this platform to talk about politics and biblical worldview and, and what that means. And today wasn't really one that was normal, but we did talk a little bit about what the Bible says about some of these issues that we face today with the riots and uh, the sanctity of life. We talked a little bit about that as well. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just um, continue to bless our nation, be with President Biden as he is ruling and reigning, be with our executive branch and our judicial branch and the legislative branch as they make these decisions, as they make these hard choices to uh, figure out exactly what's going on. We thank you for your blessings upon our nation and for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We want to hear from you. Hit us up on our email, 5byproductions at gmail.com. We want you to check out our, want you to check out our uh, uh, social media platforms. We post on there as much as we can pretty much every time we release a new episode. Yeah. Uh, give us a like, rating, review. We're available on all platforms. I guess you figured that out if you're listening to us. Yeah. And but, uh, I, hey, I want to challenge you. If you... Enjoy the content. Rate us on fa- on, on iTunes or uh, wherever you get the content at. Uh, that helps our ratings out a little bit, people, to be able to hear this platform. Yes, and, and we're doing great with our numbers. I've been highly pleased. Uh, we're almost we're over twelve hundred downloads in sixteen episodes, fifteen episodes, and so uh, I'm, I'm thankful for your listeners. Uh, but just help us out by liking us, rating us, reviewing us, and uh, continue to share this content if you enjoy it. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast presented by FYBY. If you enjoyed the content, please leave a rating or review and check out our Facebook page for more content.